This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, January 23rd. And now, please rise for the singing of our Episode 81 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. And we are twin brothers that live in Champaign, Illinois. This is our baseball podcast. Uh, got a fun uh, pack show for you uh, today. We've got an interview with fellow podcaster Eric Roseberry. He, uh, he does the On Baseball Writing podcast, which has become pretty popular here in just a, a few months of doing it. Um, so we interview him, kind of get to know his story and um, why he chose to start a podcast. And then we've also got a segment on the Hall of Fame inductees. Uh, we've got Jeff Bagwell, Pudge Rodriguez, and Tim Raines. So we'll uh, kind of recap their careers, play some um, of their best uh, best moments, the audio from those. And then we've got uh, a couple of our normal segments out of the box and baseball on TV. So it should be a, a good podcast. But before we do, we wanted to touch on uh, some more uh, pretty tragic news in uh, in baseball as Jordano Ventura died in a car accident uh, Sunday morning in the Dominican Republic. Paul, uh, I know you know uh, of him or got to know him better as a White Sox fan. Uh, just what were your thoughts when you heard the news? Yeah, tragic, especially given that it was uh, in the Dominican again, which is where Oscar Tavares passed away um, just two off seasons ago. So really, really sad news. And it almost feels like it, it's, I think it's sad for me because it be, it's becoming more normal. And uh, you wonder, <clears throat> as this happens repeatedly, what, you know, what teams are going to do to kind of compensate for it. But um, I saw Jeff Passon tweet that, you know, it's the combination of high speed, um, drugs, and just horrible roads in the Dominican that, that kind of cause a cocktail of disaster and tragedy to happen. So sad, sad news. And uh, his legacy will be interesting because he was known, uh, he was in the news and known for being a kind of a hothead. And mm-hmm. uh, and yet he pitched magnificently in the World Series and was such a young, promising pitcher that it'll be interesting to see what his legacy looks like in five or 10 years. Yeah. He was only uh, 25 years old. So I think that the saddest part for me is just, you know, unmet potential. Right. Celebrities die when they're old and uh, you know, it's sad because sad when anyone dies, but when someone dies, who's, you know, your age or <laughs> even younger. Right. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's really sad. Well, a little bit on Ventura's career. Um, as we reflect, uh, he made his debut in September of 2013 he was signed uh, out of the Dominican by the Royals in 2008, so uh, was in the minors for about four or five years before making his debut. Uh, was 22 when he made his debut in, in 2013. After that season, heading into 2014, he was the 12th best prospect in baseball, according to uh, Baseball Prospectus. Uh, and then heading uh, into that season, he actually won the fifth, um, the fifth starter job. He beat out Danny Duffy 
who is now uh, the Royals ace mm-hmm. for him. Him and Ventura this year were you know supposed to be kind of the the one-two punch. Um, so he was the uh, in the rotation all of 2014, and that was his rookie year, and was by far his best year in the bigs. Uh, 3.2 ERA and a 3.2 WAR. Uh, that year he was sixth in rookie of the year voting. It's pretty stacked um, rookie class that year in the AL. Jose Abreu won, and then uh, Matt Sh- Shoemaker of the Angels, Dylan Betances, uh, Colin McHugh, and Tanaka all were ahead of him. But had a great season and uh, pitched well in the playoffs. Game six of the World Series, like you said, Paul, pitched uh, really well. Uh, seven innings, three hits, no runs, and that was just four days after his friend Oscar Tavares, uh, prospect with the Cardinals, had passed away. Uh, so very emotional. Had the memorial on his hat to mm-hmm. Tavares when he pitched. The Giants beat the Royals in Game 7 of that World Series, but Ventura pitched very well in Game 6 to extend it. After that season, he uh, he signed a five-year, $23 million extension and uh, was named the opening day starter, actually pitched against the White Sox mm-hmm. in 2015. Um is that was that the game where he got into it? Wasn't that game? It was. I think it was still in April, but it was okay. a couple of weeks into the season. Is it eat Adam Eaton? Adam Eaton, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he got into it with. I just uh, was looking earlier today. The White Sox, Athletics, Orioles, and Angels all had um, uh, tussles with him at some point. Yep. Uh, 2015, 2016 was was pretty inconsistent. Actually, went down to the minors for a stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, ERA was. Uh, above four both seasons. Uh, still a good young pitcher, though. Had 1.9 war in both uh, 2015 and 2016, so was definitely above average and uh, was part of the 2015 uh, World Series champs. Yeah, and the, the, the Royals team. The second fastest fastball amongst the um, starting pitchers this past year behind Syndergaard. So really? Still, um, yeah, still threw really hard. Yep, he was like I said, he was slated to be the at the top of the Royals rotation this year, along with uh, Danny Duffy. Uh, just twenty five years old, and um, certainly a, a very sad day for baseball. Should uh, also probably mention too, uh, Andy Marte. Yeah, yeah, I had him written down here. Uh, he passed away in an unrelated car accident, right? Yeah, at first I think a lot of people were reporting that it was the same accident, um, but it was a it was a separate accident. Mm-hmm. Still in the Dominican. He was uh, 33, played in the bigs from uh, 2005 to 2014 for the Braves, Indians, and Diamondbacks. Uh, kind of a utility player. Uh, wasn't a tremendously good major league player. but He, ca- he came up as a promising um, prospect for the, uh, for the Braves, but um, never quite lived up to his potential. Yeah, he, w- he played in the bigs um, pretty consistently from 2005 to 2010 and then was out of the majors. For the next four years, and then uh, came back with the Diamondbacks in two- 2014 as kind of a bench player. Uh, his last game uh, in the big leagues was August 6th of 2014. Uh, Diamondbacks played the Royals, and the starter for the Royals was um, Ventura. Yeah, I saw that. Pretty amazing. Thoughts and prayers are with Ventura and Marte and their families and kind of the whole Dominican baseball community. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, Jose Fernandez was from Cuba. But um, just kind of that whole Latin American right. community. Thought a lot of um, uh, Adrian Burgos what, what, uh, when you interviewed him mm-hmm. during the season, and just um, kind of how that whole community is tied together. Right. It's neat to see, um, uh, you know, guys like Adam Eaton, 
who hated him as a player uh, tweet out and you know give interviews today saying uh, really positive things about him. Yeah, I saw um, Danny Duffy and uh, Christian Cologne. Yeah, Christian Cologne. They were at Coffin Stadium hugging fans outside the park today. Wow! So that was that was a really touching moment. All right. Well, there's no uh, no good segue to talk about um, uh, not as important things, but uh, yeah, the rest of the podcast we will be doing that. Uh, so first up, uh, our baseball on TV segments. This is where we look at a um, a baseball themed episode of a, a TV show. And uh, this week was Paul's selection, and I'll let him take it away. Yeah. So we watched uh, an episode from season nine of Mash which I had never seen before. Um, I knew the intro music. Um, I don't know how that would be the case. used to come on after the news. Maybe that's why. Growing up, yeah. Um, But MASH, if you're not familiar, aired on CBS during the 70s and early 80s, and it chronicled um, kind of a health unit in uh, Korea, South Korea, during the Korean War. So it aired during the 70s, but it was um, chronicling the Korean War. For the longest time, I thought it was the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. So it's not real time, which is important given the context of the episode. And I apologize if there are any MASH fanatics listening. Uh, I didn't do my due the diligence in researching characters and names and things like that. But um, the episode revolves around, and this is episode six, I, sh- I should say that. Of season nine. Yes. Um, revolves around the Dodgers-Giants pennant race in 1951. Uh, a fellow within this um, kind of health unit or hospital, medical hospital in Korea named Klinger, nicknamed Klinger, is a huge Dodgers fan and uh, makes a bet um, with his sergeant that the Dodgers will win the pennant. He gets pretty cocky. The original bet was that you know whoever had the division lead at July 4th would get 20 bucks because they thought they'd leave Korea by right. the, the end of the season. Um, so he collects his $20, but then he gets greedy and, uh, eventually I believe gives him six to one odds. Um, after the $20, after he gets the $20 that, you know, Klinger takes the, the Dodgers and gives his sergeant the rest of the national league essentially. So if anyone else in the national league wins, then he gives him six to one odds. Uh, if you're not familiar with the 51 season, that's when Bobby Thompson hits his shot heard around the world, uh, really dramatic game, but also a dramatic pennant race. Um, I think they were, at one point they were down 13 games. The yeah, I think they said eight going into September. So an amazing pennant race, but then, uh, an amazing last game too. And I, did, the, I didn't, I re- didn't, uh, realize the, the kind of the context of that home run. So back then, uh, there's no playoffs outside the. World Series, right? Uh, yeah. So you're you're just playing for the the right to go to the World Series. Yep. So in the National League, you know the team that wins the pennant it has to happen in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And so the Dodgers and Giants tied at the end of the regular season and had to play a three game tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. And then they split the first two games. And then in the last game, the uh, Dodgers were up four to one going into the bottom of the ninth. And uh, Scored one run, had runners on second and third with one out. Uh, Don uh, Newcomb comes in to pitch for the Dodgers, and uh, Thompson hits a three-run homer to win at 5-4, to four. so a walk-off to mm-hmm. go to the World Series. Uh, the Yankees end up winning the World Series, beating the Giants. Um, but that was kind of the context behind it. I, I Honestly, if you asked me, 
Oh, the shot heard around the world. Bobby Thompson, what will put it up to that? I probably would have guessed it was a World Series game. Probably, now that I'm thinking about the most dramatic home run in baseball history. Uh, Joe Carter winning the World Series with, that, a, with that, a walk-off. That won the World Series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess you'd be right. Yeah, but the, I mean, this the stakes, like being down, yeah. I think that probably was tied. If it was the World Series, it definitely would be. Oh, but, certainly. But the Giants went on to lose to the Yankees in the 51 World Series, four games to two. Yeah, so it doesn't have quite the mm-hmm. same punch. But I mean, at the time, the Giants and the Dodgers both played in New York. So right. It'd be like the Cubs Sox. So that adds to it as well. Mm-hmm. It also, um, this isn't necessarily baseball related, but it reminds you of uh, how different kind of our um, military complexes in America nowadays. Like, we've been fighting a war for the last decade. And yet, the the idea that there would be a like a TV series running for ten years about it is just like I don't know the farthest thing from your imagination. So just you know, it feels just so different and so uh, maybe disconnected from American life here. What what like a soldier's life would be like in Iraq or Afghanistan? Any more political takes? From no, us, that's Paul? it. That's it. Uh, Paul was very excited to see uh, our forty fifth president sworn in. Yeah, no comment. Me neither. All right. Uh, you see Sean Spicer said uh, we had uh, 1.5 million listeners on our last episode of the podcast. <laughs> you know, it did remind me, all that co- conversation about, you know, how many, the, the crowd size reminded me of the conversation after the Cubs, like during the Cubs parade, because mm-hmm. it was initially reported that it was like the largest, eighth largest gathering in, in the world. Seventh. Seventh. But then I remember reading the day after, Actually, U of I professor kind of studies that, and he said that it's near impossible. Well, they came out with that number before the parade even happened. Oh, really? So I think the best guess was like 1.5 or 2 million. He was saying it's just very, very difficult to do that. So, but whatever. All right. Well, um, that was Baseball on TV. We'll close out with a clip um, from MASH, and then we'll head into Out of the Box. So for Island Box this week, I read an article from Fangraphs, Travis Sochik, who's uh, relatively new to Fangraphs, and I'm excited that he made the move from um, the Pittsburgh News Gazette. He's a really good writer, and I think will be one of my favorites. Uh, but the specific article that I read was, what would a post-expansion MLB look like? And as Paul and I just uh, figured out, we uh, selected the same article, so this will... This will be fun because uh, did, did you kind of come up with your own conclusions? I did briefly. Okay. I was, yeah, I was going to ask you for each one so we can go back and forth. So, um, the, yeah, the premise of the article is kind of covering uh, what would the major issues be with expansion. So if MLB added two teams in the next four or five years, which seems pretty likely, we haven't expanded since late 90s, since the Diamondbacks. Yep, uh, 98 was the Diamondbacks and Rays and uh, – they actually, in the article, talk about how in the modern era of baseball, it's the longest right. expansion throughout. And uh, Commissioner Manfred has said 
he's made some comments that he's certainly sympathetic towards expansion, if not maybe a proponent of it, kind of aggressively seeking that out. Yeah, Montreal and uh, Mexico City. Are yes, the two I would, I'm, ones. I'd be very excited about Mexico City. Really? Uh, the altitude there is higher oh, than that of um, Colorado. And so uh, just seeing what that would do. Now, I don't know that you could ever attract a free agent to go there. If you added those two cities, uh, I would probably have to finally get a passport. Right, right. Because yeah. I, uh, I do not have a passport. I don't know where currently. mine's at. Um, so expansion seems likely, and so he's looking at kind of the main issues that would come about because of expansion. And he's got four main ones. Well, I think these issues come as a result of moving from 30 teams to 32 teams. Yeah. The idea is you would add two instead of just one. So when the NFL did that, you have to change the division structures. Yes. Yes. So the first issue, and he poses them as questions. First issue, are four-team divisions in each league optimal or two eight-team groupings? So he's asking, do you go to the NFL system of eight four-team divisions? Yes. Or do you switch it up and do two 18 divisions kind of reverting back to in uh, each league so there'd be it's either eight divisions total or four or four yeah. uh i don't know where you land on this i tend to go with the latter i've always kind of thought like early 90s baseball would, was really exciting when you have just two divisions in each league yeah i agree i like the two 18 divisions more uh makes a division championship more special mm-hmm. um standings are a lot easier to follow as well uh, like I have no idea the NFL system, how that's set up and outside of the NFC North. Like a lot of times people are like, Oh, are, you know, the bucks are going to compete for the NFC South. It's like, well, I don't, I don't even know who's <laughs> in the NFC South anymore. Right. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, and I mean, obviously if you follow the NFL closely, you're going to figure that out pretty quickly. But I think just a casual fan, it'd be a lot easier to follow just mm-hmm. four divisions rather than eight. Now the counter to that is, um, You'd be, if you were uh, rooting for a team that was bad, there'd be no chance of, of you being in contention, right? Like there'd be more teams that are just out of it. And well, so you get less interest. Well, in that kind of leads to the next question. Second question, or second issue. Should MLB expand the playoffs to six teams per league or keep the field at five? So certainly you wouldn't decrease it at all. And so you'd pretty much have the same chance of making the playoffs. Um, so if you did... Say the National League had two divisions of eight. You're saying you would keep it at five? So my my take on this, uh, you start out with saying division winners are definitely in. So the West and the East, both teams that win that division are in. So th- this past year it would probably be the Cubs in the West and the Nationals in the East. Those are two winners definitely in. Uh, then you have two choices. Uh, do the second-place teams in each division play each other? Uh, or do the second and third teams in each division play each other? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I like the second option. You would, And you're saying that the division winners get a buy? Or... Uh, so I liked his his proposal. Uh, in 2016, the way that would that would have looked, uh, Dodgers and Giants playing for a chance to play the Cubs, and then the Mets and the Pirates playing for a chance to play the Nationals. Um, I think that would add to in division rivalries because you'd be playing, right. you know, you'd always be playing in your division going up until the, um, I guess it'd be the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the division round. Uh, Sochik floats out the idea of kind of a March Madness style three-game series for these play-in games. Uh, so you'd have four series going on at the same time, uh, four three-game series. So you'd have the Dodgers, Giants, Mets, Pirates, and then same scenario in the, the AL with the division winners getting the bye. And then um, after those four series are over, you'd have four more series of seven games. Yeah. Yeah, I can get behind that. I still think you would have you you would have less a less competitive pennant race. I get the the same number of teams pennant like, race, but you're still. I mean, if you right, made, right right now there are teams that are technically quote unquote in it in uh, at the end of July that you know like the Padres was it two years ago that kind of went for broke, even though ninety percent of baseball fans knew that they weren't gonna like you you have those outside chance teams that would I I feel like they would kind of fall off yeah. But uh, like the Pirates would end up making the playoffs when they were not even close. Yeah. Because you're adding a, another mm-hmm. team. And so really it's just making the playoffs is the most important thing. Yep. Um, issue number three, should MLB realign teams by geography or try and preserve as many of the rivalries and division arrangements as possible? I don't think this is as big of an issue. Because a lot of your rivalries are going to be geographically based, so like Cubs Cardinals, mm-hmm. they wouldn't there wouldn't be any threat there. Same thing with Dodgers Giants, and uh, I kind of view those, you know, uh, Yankees Red Sox as the three biggest rivalries. Yeah, I think you'd have to be um, just kind of cautious with uh, how you realign, um, respect rivalries, uh, don't switch leagues. Um, you know, don't like bring the Orioles over to the mm-hmm. NL East because it works better. Send the Brewers back to the American League. Yeah, just <laughs> just be uh, be cautious. I think you add Mexico City to the American League if they're the team. Um, kind of gives them a, a course field, and then uh, add Montreal to the National League East, mm-hmm. and then just keep the leagues. You know, you can s- switch East West, uh, switch that around, but uh, keep the leagues how they are right now. Yeah. Um, and the last one here, I, I agree with that. Last one here, uh, should MLB keep interleague play or abolish it? The thought being that if you have an even number of teams in each league, if you have 16 teams, then it wouldn't be a, a scheduling necessity. Whereas right now you have an odd number of teams, 15 in each. And so you, you have to have one interleague series going at all times. I wouldn't be upset if they abolished it, but... I think I would prefer them to keep interleague play, just just for the Cubs Sox. Yeah, I lean that way too. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing it going away because it would add intrigue to the All Star Game mm-hmm. and the World Series. Uh, I do like uh, seeing American League teams play my team, though. I like seeing the Cubs play in uh, other ballparks as well. So like Cubs at, Cubs at Fenway or Cubs opened the season last year against the Angels. It was fun to see Mike Trout play because I normally don't see him all that much. Uh, so I would lean towards interleague, but maybe scale it back, you know, three to four series a year. And I think, you know, the argument might be, oh, you'd have unbalanced scheduling then, and, uh, you know, you'd probably compare two teams. You know, one team played four of the best teams in the American League, and the other team has a better record, but they played three or four of the worst. And uh, my uh, take on those arguments is always, you're playing 162 games. By the end of those, that amount of games, the team with the best record deserves the spot that they got. Mm-hmm. You can't, uh, it's just an, like an absurd amount of games to play in a season. And so 
you know, I get that with the NFL maybe or the NBA, but you're playing so many games. 162 is plenty to see who, who should make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you would feel differently if if the Cubs had uh, like a recent example of <laughs> being jabbed by. Oh, yeah. I, you're just playing so many games. Yeah, but it can come down to a game or two at the end of the season. Yeah, but I mean, sometimes even if you play the same teams, a team is totally different in April than they could be in like August. And so it's about mm-hmm. timing as well. And so I just don't buy that argument. My only kind of concluding thought about um, thinking through expansion is uh, I don't mind that we haven't expanded for the last 20 years. And if, if this were to come about and, you know, we were to radically, or we're going to have to radically change the divisions either to make four per league or two per league, I'd like some consistency after that. I, d- I don't like the idea of kind of evolving and changing divisions every like 10 years even. I kind of like, um, I don't know, just getting used to a to a system. So I, yeah. I've appreciated the last 17, 18 years. Yeah, I wouldn't. My preference would be to not expand. Yeah, honestly. But sorry, Montreal fans. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I would. If you're going to expand, they should get a team because uh, I think the way they they lost their team is pretty ridiculous. Um, but I don't think uh, baseball, in terms of popularity, is like demanding more teams. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the overall talent would go down. Uh, the last time you expanded, you added Tampa, which is uh, kind of a train wreck of a mm-hmm. uh, market right now. And then you added the uh, Marlins as well in, in the 90s, and that didn't work out well. Diamondbacks and Rockies are pretty good, but um, I don't know. Just take a, take a more cautious approach to it. I could see Mexico City either going like super, super well or being a complete flop. I feel like if they had some early success, like the Marlins and Nimex did, they could almost be like the the most popular thing in Mexico. Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking with very little knowledge here. <laughs> um, but if they were terrible or couldn't attract free agents or something, I feel like it could just be kind of a complete, I don't know, disaster. Yeah, I think uh, soccer's big down there. Mm-hmm. I don't think football is huge. Uh, a few years ago, uh, Bears uh, offensive guard, Roberto Garza, was on the... Uh, cover of madden mexico <laughs> so i think there is kind of a, an opportunity there but yeah i don't know how it would go uh, one last note from this article before we move on uh in the last 45 years mlb has seen one franchise move the expo is moving to dc um, to become the nationals uh the nfl has seen 10 in that same time span nhl has nine and the nba has eight Jeez, right yeah right now with the nfl it seems like every week you're getting New information about teams moving? Yeah, with uh, Chargers and Rams in L.A. now, and then the Raiders look to be on their way to Vegas, mm-hmm. which uh, I would be pretty worried if I was an NFL fan about the Vegas uh, having a team there. Well, yeah, well, Charger, the Chargers moving to L.A. seems like less, or seems like more of an issue, just because uh, no one in L.A. is... Well, I just think you've got NFL players in Vegas once a year. Like, there's going to be a ton of off the field Maybe. Stuff. I feel like that stuff's already going on, though true all right well that was out of the box uh you can find that article uh on our uh, episode page footinthebox.com uh let us know your thoughts you can email us at footinthebox at gmail.com all right next up we have um our uh, hall of fame inductees so if you missed it uh this past week on wednesday nights uh the uh hall of fame announced uh 
that three players had received 75% or more of the vote to make uh, the Hall of Fame in the 2017 class. Uh, we knew kind of going into the, the vote that Tim Raines and Jeff Bagwell were going to make it based on uh, Ryan Thibodeau's um, Hall of Fame tracker, which is just an amazing resource. So mm -hmm. shout out to him for that. Uh, I know it's a lot of hard work. You should follow him on Twitter. Uh, he's good even outside of Hall of Fame season. Uh, so those two were pretty much locks, um, which is really cool that Reigns got in in his last year, and Bagwell seemed pretty deserving. Uh, the surprise was Ivan uh, uh, Pudge Rodriguez uh, got in. Who was on my ballot, but not yours. Yes, he was tied to steroids, so we won't get into that. We talked about it. You you ended up putting Bagwell in yours, right? Yeah. Yeah, you can check out our ballots at footinthebox.com. We uh, released those on a blog post last week. But we won't hash over that today. We're just going to talk about the three uh, three inductees. Um, Pudge had 76% of the vote, and people that just missed, uh, Trevor Hoffman, I think was five votes shy mm -hmm. at 74%, and then Vlad was at 71%. Uh, so uh, they're early on in their 10-year process, though. So they probably will both get in. Clemens and Bond saw a big um, upkick in their voting numbers. So looks like... They will most likely get in before their 10 years is up. Yeah, I saw or read that uh, no player who has been above 50% at the point where they are has ever been left out. Mm -hmm. But this is kind of treading new territory, so I don't know if you can look at precedent. Yep. Yeah, we'll see uh, See how that um, turns out in future years. All right, so this uh, 2017 class, three, uh, three good hitters from the 90s, um, we are going to kind of break down their careers, give some fun facts about them, and then play uh, an audio clip um, from their career. Uh, so Paul had the two predominantly American League guys, mm -hmm. um, and then I had Bagwell in the uh, National League. What used to be the National League, the Astros. But, uh, so Paul, uh, why don't you start with uh, with one of your two? I'll start with Pudge. Um, so as Peter mentioned, Ivan Rodriguez was inducted. And uh, with both of my guys, I think um, I kind of thought, like, what's, like, the one image in my mind that will last forever um, or for a while? And I think with Pudge, uh, it's 2003, playing the Cubs. And uh, I just I always remember him as being an excellent opposite field hitter. <laughs> so for that for for whatever reason, that's the image I have in my mind of him going apo. Well, to even get there, he made that great play at the plate to beat the Giants. Right. Yeah. But just a little bit of context for his career: he played from 1991 until 2011, and he played for six different teams. Uh, majority of his career was spent playing for the Rangers. He also played for the Marlins in 2003, as I mentioned, the Tigers the Yankees, the Astros, and uh, the Nationals at the very end of his career. Certainly will be remembered as a Texas Ranger, though, um, and will almost certainly go in as a, as a Ranger. One of the best defensive, maybe the best defensive catcher in the history of baseball. Uh, he's first all-time, according to Fangraph's war, and uh, he hit 311 home runs, which is seventh all-time for catchers, and also had a, a respectable 344 career on base percentage. So he wasn't just a defensive catcher. Obviously, you kind of have to be a dec decent offensive player, too, to get in the Hall of Fame. Um, Awards-wise, he won the AL MVP in 1999. Uh, it's kind of the peak of his career. Uh, 13 Gold Glove Awards, which wow. is insane. And again, that 
you know, it gets a little watered down because you start giving it to the same guy every year, but that's still a remarkable number. He's also a 14-time All-Star. Um, and he did win one World Series with the Marlins in 2003. And he also played in another World Series with the Tigers um, later on. A couple interesting anecdotes. He made his debut when he was 19 years old. Hmm. Um, he was signed when he was 16, so just three years later, made his debut with the, the Rangers. He does have some history with steroids or being linked to steroids. Only God knows. In, uh, in Jose Canseco's infamous uh, Juiced book, uh, came out in the early 2000s. Uh, Canseco claimed to have personally injected Rodriguez. Rodriguez, um, you know, adamantly denies that. But as Peter just quoted, he was asked pretty directly about that later on, and he responded by saying, "Only God knows," which doesn't exactly instill confidence. Um, but the being being um, kind of tainted by steroids or alleged to have taken steroids doesn't seem to hurt the perception that writers have of him because um, he was inducted. Um, on the first ballot. Um, uh, also, he won the uh, the NLCS MVP in 2003. Um, that was a series, the I Bartman series against yeah, the Cubs. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, I have a clip here, but Pete, anything to add on Pudge's career? Only God knows. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. Uh, without the steroids, he's definitely a Hall of Famer. Even with steroids, he's, he is a Hall of Famer because he made it. Uh, so I will uh, look forward to his speech and uh, see if he... Uh, you know, is asked about that at all or what what he says about that. Interesting career path. And I think that 2003 season is the most interesting for me. Uh, up until then, he had been a Ranger. And then he signed up just a one-year deal. Hmm. Uh, I think it was for $10 million with the Marlins. Um, you know, kind of right at the peak of his career. It, it seems strange to me that um, he, he couldn't have gotten a multi-year deal and, and chose to, to play for Florida. I remember him... Uh, and uh, Javi Lopez kind of being free agents, looking for money, like the big contract around right. the same time. Did the Orioles, they signed Javi, and I thought they signed another catcher. Or maybe they were rumored to sign Pudge as well. I just remember in the same offseason hmm. um, rumors about that. Yeah, <clears throat> but um, he eventually got that big contract with the Tigers right after that. Um, but the clip I have here is from the 2003 postseason. Uh, this is game three of the NLDS, and this was kind of a swing game. Um, so this is the series before they played the Cubs, playing the Giants, Tim Worrell, uh, former Cub. Uh, the 11th, this is the 11th inning, and uh, um, Rodriguez comes up with a uh, chance to win the game. Setting up away again. Here's the pitch. Swinging a line drive into right field. A base hit. Cruz has it. Pierre is coming in. Here's the throw. This one is over. And the Marlins win it. The Marlins on a two-out base hit to right field. Off the bat of Pud Rodriguez. And the Marlins come back with two in the bottom of the 11th inning. And this crowd is going crazy, as you would expect. Yeah, so that was a huge moment for uh, for Rodriguez and for the, the the Marlins. They would go on to win the next game, so they won that series three games to one, and then they they beat the Cubs four games to three in the NLDS before beating the Yankees in the World Series. There's the opposite field. Yeah, you're talking. Do you about? Ha- do you kind of have an image in your head of Pudge? Uh, he double against the Cubs. Sounds right. Yeah, I just remember him kind of clapping at second base. Yep, I have the same image. 
Um, the second clip I have here, uh, I'm a big fan of corny um, uh, pro athletes advertisements. So this is a Papa John's commercial from uh, Rodriguez's last year. When Papa John's asked me, number seven, to spread the word about the new $7 deal, I give it a swing. With $7 pizza every game day, it's all about giving the fans your very best. This season at PapaJohns.com, large one-topping pizzas are just $7 every Rangers game day. Let's go, Rangers. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. Official pizza of your Texas Rangers. He looks very old in that clip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he probably got paid quite a bit of money for saying like two sentences. Papa John had a huge baseball jersey with Papa John right across the front of it. And if you're looking to hashtag that, uh, they did a little play on words. It's a hashtag uh, Let's Go Rangers, but they turned the T in Let's to a 7. So it's L-E-7-S, Go Rangers. Was this this past year? Right. Oh, I thought you said it was his last year in the bigs. Or yeah, sorry, sorry. The yeah, his last year in the big leagues. But there was a hashtag. Yeah, it's strange. What year was Pudge done? Would have been 2012. Maybe I'll do some fact checking. Yeah, it says it was published April 1st of 2016. So it was published this past year, but he was done as a. That would make more sense given how old he looks. Yeah, I think it was this year. Okay. With the hashtag. All right. Uh, flip over to the National League. Jeff Bagwell. Is inducted, was it his third, fourth year on the ballot? Third year, I think. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why he didn't get in sooner. Um, there's no direct link to steroids. It's all kind of conjecture. His career, um, kind of the trajectory of it, follows a pretty normal uh, trajectory. His body physique doesn't. but Yeah, I mean, but he maybe he just stopped taking them if he started, but... Uh, yeah, 449 career home runs, uh, 408 on base percentage career, uh, 202 stolen bases. He was the rookie of the year in 1991, won the MVP in the strike-shortened season of 1994. Uh, between his rookie year in 91 and 2002, so his first 12 seasons in the big leagues, uh, he had a 71.7 war, and that's an average of six per season. Wow. He was very consistent over those first 12 seasons, and then um, kind of fell off after that. But again, that's a normal normal career. Uh, career earnings of $108 million. He was drafted by the Red Sox in 1989. He was a fourth-round pick. He's actually from Boston. Uh, so that was, uh, I'm sure, a cool moment for him. Uh, but he was traded by the Red Sox in what is considered one of the worst trades of all time. At the uh, trade deadline in 1990, the Red Sox traded uh, Bagwell for a 37-year-old relief pitcher, Larry Anderson. Anderson uh, just pitched 22 innings for the Red Sox that year, um, didn't didn't uh, re-sign with them. Red Sox did win the AL East, though. Uh, they were swept by the A's in the ALCS, uh, and Larry Anderson actually blew game one of that series uh, when he came in for relief of uh, Roger Clemens. Uh, so Bagwell went on to this Hall of Fame career, and I'm sure the Red Sox uh, regret that deal. Uh, some fun facts about Bagwell. He played soccer and baseball. He is the all-time goal-scoring leader at his high school. Um, he's only 5'10", pretty short, especially for a first baseman. Like I said, he was born in Boston. Uh, his childhood hero was Yaz, Carly Skrzemski, 
and uh, he actually hit three homers less than Yaz. Hmm. Yaz had 452 um, home runs to Bagwell's 449. Bagwell went to the University of Hartford, or Hartford University, sorry. Uh, that's in Connecticut. And like I said, he was he was drafted in the fourth round by the Red Sox. Uh, lastly, Bagwell delivered uh, uh, the eulogy at Ken Caminiti's funeral in 2004. Hmm. They were good friends. I have two clips for you. Both came in the 2004 playoffs. Bagwell did not perform well in the clutch, especially in the playoffs. Uh, those Astros teams were pretty talented for a while, especially their lineup, but they uh, they never could make... I guess they made one World Series against the White, White Sox. Sox. Yeah. Um, but that was the only World Series that Bagwell ever played in. Uh, 2004 was their best chance, in my opinion, Got beat by the Cardinals in the NLCS. So better than when they actually made the World Series. That's a uh, controversial. Well, I think they were more talented in 2004. Just their players weren't as aged. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> uh, 2004 NLDS. Um, Going to play uh, Bagwell's first playoff home run. Only had two for his career. And uh, so he homered in game two against Mike Hampton of the Braves. So here is that first playoff home run. He actually looked for it to drive it that way. Well, he drives this one to right field. Very deep. Drew on the move at the track and the wall. And it is gone. A home run for Jeff Bagwell to right field. And it is one to nothing Houston. Bagwell looking yesterday to drive it to right. He doubled this time over the fence. To get Houston going one to nothing. Well, you've got to you've got to know Bagwell being around the game as much as he has. He gets this pitch the first time and he can't get to it. Well, you know Hampton's going to go right back out there and try to go a little bit further. Bagwell guesses right and gets the pitch that he wants to hit. He smoked that Dave. His first career postseason home run. The Astros went on to beat the Braves in the uh, division series. Bagwell would hit another home run in Game Five. Uh, so they made it to the NLCS against the Cardinals. They were actually up three games to two in that series. Uh, ended up losing in seven. Uh, but in uh, game six, uh, Astros were down four to three in the top of the ninth against the Cardinals with two outs and runners on first and second with, with Bagwell uh, coming to the plate. Bagwell hammers the first pitch. It'll fall in a base hit. Racing home is Ensberg and Bagwell delivers a 4-4 game in the ninth inning. The biggest base hit of Jeff Bagwell's Hall of Fame career. That pitch had hit me written all over. Just a fastball right down the middle. So there you go, Tom Brenneman. Uh, called it there. Yeah, Hall of Pro- Fame career. he's a prophet. That's a pretty uh, bold claim to make at that moment. Well, you, steroids, that whole issue wasn't up yet, and he'd played 13 years in the bigs. Yeah. He retired in 2005. It's so. kind of a hawk, a hawkism. <laughs> yeah, big hit there. Uh, huge hit to extend the game. Uh, Jason Isringhausen was the pitcher for the Cardinals. Hmm. Morgan Ensberg also brought back some memories. Yeah. There's so many players like that, figures in baseball, history that are like have really good seasons but no one remembers them yeah like i want to say he had a couple of 30 homer seasons ensberg but i just Mm -hmm. 
probably uh, like a Mark Trembo type. Right. Yeah. Type player. Uh, finish this out. Tim Raines. Uh, no, very special because he played for the White Sox. Right. Uh, <laughs> the the figure that I have in my mind with um with Raines actually doesn't come from his playing career. I'll be honest. I don't remember watching him. Um, I might have been old enough to see a couple of his um, more famous moments with the Yankees. But the, the image I, I have of Reigns in my mind is uh, first base coach for the White Sox in 2005. Really? Um, yeah, he was a friend of Ozzy's and was was the I White Sox first base coach. Um, so the image is actually him with one of those uh, helmets that doesn't have the ear flaps like that the first and third base coach wear, which uh, doesn't do justice to his playing career which spanned uh, four decades, played from 1979 to 2002. Majority of that career was spent um, in two cities, Montreal with the Expos and Chicago with the White Sox. He also played for the Yankees, Athletics, Orioles, and Marlins. Um, Primarily a left fielder, although he did come up as a a second baseman, so he was never really known for his defense. Um, He was primarily known as one of the best base stealers in baseball. Um, just an elite base dealer, elite base runner. He uh, also had a career on base percentage of 385, which is fantastic, and accumulated 808 stolen bases, which ranks uh, fifth all time. And his uh, percentage is higher than the, the four guys ahead of him. Right. He actually holds the record, the White Sox record, for um, stolen base percentage. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's 87%. The he's the only player in Major League Baseball history with at least 100 triples, 150 home runs, and 600 stolen bases. So just a unique blend of uh, of speed, but also of of some power. Awards wise, he is a seven time All Star, four time stolen base champion, and he did win a batting title in uh, 1986 with the Expos. And then he would go on to win two World Series titles with the Yankees in 1996 and 1998. Um, a couple of interesting anecdotes about him. His nickname is The Rock for his physique, which I thought was interesting. Um, and it's all, it's kind of funny that both him and Pudge have the same physique, <laughs> yet Pudge's nickname is, is Pudge and uh, Reigns is Rock. He frequently relaxed before games by listening to speeches of Martin Luther King Jr., hmm. which I thought was fascinating. And uh, <clears throat> he did battle a cocaine addiction early in his career, which if you've seen the 30 for 30 on the, um, the Pittsburgh Pirates cocaine issues, they did talk about this. So the, for the first couple of years of his career, he battled this cocaine addiction, went to rehab after the 1982 season, um, and he developed a, a really strong friendship and bond with uh, fellow Expo Andre Dawson, mm. and Dawson kind of helped him along with rehab. Uh, break that addiction, um, and they were so close that Reigns actually named his his second son Andre. Um, then, as, as I mentioned, he was the White Sox uh, first base coach during the uh, 2005 World Series run. So, yeah, he was a great player. This was his last year that he was eligible, 10th year on the ballot. What I think, personally for me, is um, something to note for Reigns is that he is probably the last player to get inducted uh, in the foreseeable future that I don't have any memory of watching hmm. play. That's true. From here on out, for my lifetime, I think everyone who gets inducted, I'll have at least some memory of watching them play. That's a good point. Uh, this clip here uh, that you sent me, uh, he gets his 800th stolen base, uh, and he's wearing the helmet that you speak of. So I think you remember him with the 
the No Ear Flap helmet because he wore that. Oh, did he actually wear that? When he was a player, yeah. Yeah, and this is, uh, he's a Yankee near the end of his career. He ended with 808, so he's only, he's only got eight stolen bases left. And he's playing against the Expos. Right, yeah. All right, here it is. Five-run lead is a comfortable lead because a grand slam won't tie the game. So range is a big factor. He represents that fifth run. He's off and running. Here's the throw by Winter, and he is safe. Tim Raines has joined the most elite of clubs. Three other men who had lived in the fastest of baseball lanes. Ty Cobb, Lou Brock, and Ricky Henderson, and now Tim Raines, his 800th stolen base. And it's only fitting that it comes in the stadium where he stole his first base. September 15, 1979 against the St. Louis Cardinals. Here's a look. That is that now familiar jump of Tim Raines that we've seen over the years. The throw not handled by the shortstop Mike Mordecai and Raines is in with steal number 800. What an accomplishment. Yeah, that was cool. That's cool that it happened in uh, in Montreal. Do you have any memories of Reigns from his playing days? Uh, uh, vaguely with the Yankees, uh, but not really. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a, uh, I looked at his uh, similarity uh, rankings, or I don't know what that's called in baseball reference, similarity scores. And the player that had the most similar career was actually Lou Brock, which mm-hmm. is interesting because a lot of people kind of hate on Lou Brock. He's the example given of a guy who doesn't deserve to be in the Hall. So I almost feel like he's a... Uh, a better Lou Brock, a mm-hmm. Lou Brock who got on base. Yeah, I think my favorite thing on uh, on Reigns is that he got on base uh, more times than Tony Gwynn. Mm-hmm. So both uh, both players that I really enjoy, and uh, it's just funny we think of Gwynn as like a for sure Hall of Famer, and uh, Reigns was a better baseball player, I think. And uh, without kind of the Moneyball movement or sabermetrics, and without the uh, Internet and social media, I don't think Reigns gets in. I think without Jonah Carey, he doesn't get in. Yeah, he can maybe make that argument. All right, well, you can uh, watch all those clips. Uh, They're all really cool uh, visually as well. You can watch them. uh, Just go to our podcast episode page, footinthebox.com. Next up on the podcast, we have um, an interview with Eric Roseberry. Uh, He is the host of a a fun new baseball podcast and uh, a, a friend of the podcast now. So enjoy, Eric. This week's guest on the podcast is Eric Roseberry. Eric is the host of the On Baseball Writing podcast. Uh, he's also a writer uh, for Baseball Prospectus and the Red Reporter. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Eric Roseberry. Uh, Eric, welcome to our podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, like a lot of people, uh, Paul and I have really enjoyed the uh, the On Baseball Writing podcast, and so today I'm excited to get to know the man behind the mic. Sure. <laughs> Uh, I guess to start off, you asked all your guests this, but uh, how'd you get started in baseball? What's kind of your uh, baseball fandom journey? Yeah, so growing up, I got really into it uh, around eight years old, uh, and it was something my dad was always into it. So that's, uh, I remember he was watching the 91 NLCS Braves Pirates, and so that's the first time I remember sitting down and watching a baseball game with him. And so it just kind of went from there and uh, up. Uh, until about high school, uh, it was 
just a constant in my life. Um, the Braves were always on TBS, so that's who I kind of took to in my early days uh, and then took about a 10-year break from baseball where mm. it just wasn't as important. And yeah, one day, I think it was before the 2014 season, decided, hey, I want to get back into this. I kind of miss it. Uh, and so I found the Effectively Wild podcast oh, yeah. uh, with Ben Lindbergh and Sam Miller. And so listened to their team previews. Uh, and from there, yeah, I just got uh, just kind of got right back into it. And then at the end of that 2014 season, a group of us that had met each other in that Facebook group uh, decided to start a, a blog called Banished to the Pen. And that's where a lot of us got started writing about it. So, yeah, that's the, the gist of it. Awesome. So <clears throat> it really was kind of the... Uh the Effectively Wild uh, podcast or community that got you back into baseball? Oh, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely that. And so, uh, yeah, I just started listening to the shows, and then I've told Ben this, but just a number of people throughout the day now that I'll be texting or talking to who have become really good friends just from the online community that we've been able to have. So I think having that aspect of it uh, drew me in and kept me from falling back like I might have otherwise. Okay, and then you're a you're a Reds fan now, right? I am. Yeah, when I got into college, I realized I didn't have a great reason to be a Braves fan, <laughs> other than they were on TV all the time. So, uh, yeah, I started rooting for the Reds, which my dad had always been a Reds fan, so it wasn't a a hard jump. But I, uh, yeah, when I when I decided to do that, it was a a fairly good time to do it. And I'm not regretting it now, but it's definitely <laughs> a leaner time. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah, definitely a, a Reds fan now. Are you uh, full of uh, excitement over the Dan Straley big big deal? Ah, <laughs> uh, it was. I was surprised with the return they got. I think all of us were fearful we were going to get one really good year out of him, mm-hmm. um, which all his peripheral stats were saying it was a little smoke and mirrors with what he was able to do. Uh, so getting, uh, admittedly, the Marlins farm system isn't great, but getting three prospects like that for a guy like Straley is what you want your team to be doing at this point. And yeah, I think everybody was pretty excited about the return, especially Castillo. Yeah. He, uh, he actually was with the Cubs for a short period, but then they, uh, they dealt him to the Astros and then he's bounced around a little bit. So I was very surprised that he was good last year. Yeah. We, uh, we also signed, uh, Alcantara. So I think we're just trying to bring all the <laughs> Cubs cast offs on board and see I what happens. Him, yeah. He, his pitch recognition is pretty terrible. He swing, he like decides before <laughs> the pitch, whether he's going to swing or not. Put him next to Joey Votto's locker and just let him <laughs> hey, sit there. There you go. Well, you, so you mentioned the the writing uh, part of it. That's how you got into that. But the the, the podcast side of things, I'm really intrigued by the on baseball writing podcasts. I don't, you know, obviously know the metrics, but it seems like it's it's pretty popular. Um, you've had some great guests on there. So, what's kind of the backstory uh, with the podcast? What made you think of it? And then, um, yeah, I guess just give us an update on how it's going. Yeah. So I, you know, I was I was getting started with the writing stuff. I'm someone I I like to learn from people who. Uh, are doing things well and I've always been drawn to people who are um, really good at what they do and so I started thinking about all these questions I'd want to ask baseball writers Um, and then the thought just dawned well there's probably other people who would like to hear their answers too to this kind of stuff so uh, we had because of Banished to the Pin uh, before I was on at BP had some connections to some guys there so I know there's some authors I could get on uh, that would be helpful and so I just started sending invites out and wasn't quite sure what would happen and uh yeah everyone i've asked who has been super super helpful i haven't had anybody turn me down yet mm-hmm. um and so it's yeah you want to come talk about yourself for a half an hour which isn't a hard <laughs> i think a hard thing to ask somebody but 
Uh, yeah, Ben came on in, in the first five episodes, which I think really helped kind of legitimize it. Uh, but also, yeah, early on from BP, uh, Stacey Gasulius, who's written a lot of places, um, that there were some people who were willing to to give their time early on to kind of give it an anchor so people could say or see, like, yeah, this is this is a place people would go to, to talk about this. Yeah, I've, I've since doing this podcast for a couple of years now, I have been pretty shocked by how easy it is to get guests to come on. I mean, oh, if, yeah. you, if you just put the time into asking people the the baseball like community, they say yes to almost <laughs> any any oh, request. Yeah. And so, I, has it been easier, uh, I guess, than you you expected to get these these writers who are probably super busy to to come on and give thirty minutes of their time? It has been. Uh, I mean, for example, I had Will Leach on two episodes ago, mm-hmm. and he was kind of yeah, I was like, I'll throw it out there, but I'm not expecting much. So. I sent him a Twitter DM and, and literally five minutes later he had agreed to it. We had a time set. Um, and I mean, being as flexible as I can be helps a lot, but yeah, there's, there's really been, uh, nobody who's been much trouble at all getting, getting scheduled. And yeah, like kind of like you said, it seems like in this community, people are really happy to help if you're mm-hmm. just nice and approach people the right way. And, um, yeah, they've been incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of your guests, uh, you've had around 30, right? I think that's... Yeah, yeah, right around 30. Okay. Um, and actually, four of your guests were also on our podcast, so there is some crossover. Uh, Will Leach, okay. uh, Rob Maines, who I'm a big fan of, uh, Nick Stellini, and Ryan Watts. Uh, so all, all four of those are great guests. You've had a lot more. Uh, do you have a favorite so far? I, it's Carson Sestouli. Oh, yeah, that was a great uh, And one. that was just... Yeah, just personally, I've always... It was it was weird because when I started listening to his Fangraphs podcast, I wasn't a huge fan early on, and I think <laughs> it just takes some adjusting to get used to his style. Yep. Uh, but now I love it, and it's one of my favorite things I listen to is any of the audio stuff he does. And he just has a different background than a lot of the people I've talked to, studied poetry, just mm-hmm. is a different guy. Um, and so, yeah, giving him the opportunity to open up uh, and just to be able to, to ask him about his perspective on stuff because he does approach it in such a different way. Uh, is probably my my favorite conversation I've had so far. But uh, yeah, like you said, a lot of them have been. Uh, I've learned something from everybody, um, and yeah, have really enjoyed. Um, not only have they been helpful in coming on, but just everybody I've talked to has been super nice, super willing to to do whatever. Yeah, he uh, he turned the tables on you at the end. He asked you for some <laughs> some advice. He I, he couldn't help himself. He actually sent a follow up email. Uh, which I sent him a follow-up afterward because we were having a conversation about how many kids I have. And I said, uh, I had four, and he was surprised by that. Uh, and I, I said, we are done because my wife's told me, like, we're done having kids. And I think he took it, he only heard we are done and assumed I was, like, abruptly ending the podcast. Oh. And so I sent him an email like, hey, man, that's not at all what I was doing. I hope it didn't come off like that. <laughs> and so we we got that squared away, but... Uh, yeah, in that he's, he, uh, yeah, talked about just appreciating being able to kind of open up about, uh, criticism and stuff like that. So it was good. Now, have you offered, uh, to give, uh, two of your children to him to kind of <laughs> even it out? I, uh, depending on the week, I'd probably be willing to do that. So, uh, yeah, if anybody, uh, out there wants to just try out kids for a little bit, let me know. <laughs> it's the next, uh, phase of the podcast. Yep. There you go. Uh, do you enjoy the podcast or writing side of, uh, your baseball coverage more? Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to pick cause I think they both, uh, scratch different itches for me. 
Uh, as you mentioned, just this month I came on Baseball Prospectus as the fantasy intern for this year, um, which I really enjoyed that because I've primarily written about baseball, done a little fantasy stuff, but um, this is definitely the deepest dive I've taken into that world. Uh, and so I've been, I've enjoyed the opportunity to slow down and maybe not as much focusing on uh, teams the past month or so, but but by position and seeing where different players are at. Um, so I enjoy the research writing part of it. Um, but yeah, the, the conversations... Um, I told people when I started the podcast, I knew it was going to be something where I needed to ask questions and get out of the way and kind of let the guests carry it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, because, because people have been so great at that, it's, it's been an enjoyable and pretty easy process. We've got uh, the next couple of weeks, uh, episodes coming up with Grant, Grant Brisby, nice. uh, Travis Balchick, Rob Nyer. So hopefully a lot of good stuff coming in the, the coming weeks. That leads to my next question. Uh, What's the future of the podcast? Do you think uh, it can go forever? Is there a a limit of baseball writing? I think so. When I started it, I just, I got excited. And so I was dumping three or four episodes a week (laughs) first. And somebody was finally like, hey, you're going to run out of people in two months if you don't stop. So uh, the goal is two a week now. Uh, And uh, yeah, I think. At least through this season, I think. And when the season starts, that might slow down because I know people will get busy with jobs and really hitting the writing stuff. Um, but at least once a week, I think I could carry it through the season. I don't know if it'll go uh, much beyond that. Uh, but, but yeah, so far, there's still enough people on that list I've put together that I'd love to, to get a conversation with. Who are, who are some of kind of like the, the, the big dogs that you want to land? Um, I assume Grant Brisby would be one of them, but then like Sam Miller, I would think with effectively wild and some of the ESPN guys, but do you have any kind of guys that you'd, you'd like absolutely love to interview? Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, Sam would be one I'd love to have on, um, if that could work out. I know ESPN's, uh, a little tricky just with guests they'll allow to come on. That's Mark true, Simon, yeah. who's at ESPN. Uh, he came on recently, but it was, hey, let me clear this real quick. And so, mm. so yeah, uh, some of the national ESPN guys, you know, uh, like Tim Kirkjian or something like that. Yeah, that'd be awesome to have somebody like that on. Um, was still with people I haven't interviewed, kind of where I'm at now. Yeah, you mentioned Sam, Dave Cameron, somebody I'd like to have on uh, soon. So hopefully I'll get that opportunity. Um, Rob Nyer is actually a guy who has come up quite a bit as people have talked about people who inspired them. So uh, getting to talk to him in a few weeks will be really good. Uh, kind of a, a pipe dream would be Bill James. I was going to ask, uh, yeah. Yeah, because for most people, they bring up, especially of a certain age, this was my, there wasn't BP, there wasn't fan graphs, it was Bill James. And so kind of being able to talk to him about how all that got started in his early life in baseball writing. Um, yeah, he's definitely up there in terms of, of guys I'd like to have on. Hmm. Yeah, well, I look, uh, look forward to that. And, you hope the, the the baseball thing kind of becomes just a bigger part of your life, like you hope to one day do it um, full time. Yeah, we've I've thought about that, and even some of the conversations on the podcast. I started this pretty late in life. Um, I'm not old, but you know, I was 30 the time I started writing about baseball. Had a wife, had kids, and so I don't think or anticipate this will become uh, what I do full time. There's just not the opportunity to do the the internships or some of the other things people can do to, to slowly walk into a full-time job. Uh, so what I'm doing now, uh, I'm able to handle doing the podcast, writing once a week at BP, and then kind of as I can uh, at Red Reporter. Uh, and pretty, I, I pretty much anticipate that's what it'll look like as long as I'm doing it. 
All right, uh, last question. Uh, I'm, I'm a Cubs fan, so I'm, I'm just curious to know uh, your, your yeah. Reds outlook for 2017. Uh, what uh, What's your take on, on the Reds and, I guess, the whole NL Central? Yeah, I, I don't think anyone's expecting, at least the Reds fans I know, no, we're not going to contend this year. Uh, the, the team had put a timeline. 2018 was the year they expected to be somewhat competitive again. I think realistically it's probably going to be 2019. Hmm. Uh, just the Cubs do, for fans of the NL Central, kind of cast their shadow over the entire division right now. That uh, Yeah, it's a daunting thing to think about trying to overtake them in the next couple of years. So I think realistically 2018, 2019, if we could compete for a wild card, I'd be thrilled with that. Uh, this is Brandon Phillips' final year. This is uh, There will be some pieces of that previous team that will kind of move on after this year what's what are, uh, res, what are res fans uh what are their opinions of phillips are they mad he won't accept the trade yeah <laughs> yeah um i the bull uh it, if you talk to kind of internet baseball fans yes they're frustrated phillips won't accept the trade um i mean from a fan perspective i don't blame the guy he's happy in cincinnati his family's there he's he's earned that so yeah uh that's fine uh but there's definitely a core of reds fans who aren't uh, who don't run the circles that we do that still have in their head he's one of the best defensive second baseman in baseball he's the i've heard some even say face of the franchise are those the so people kind they of don't like Lado? yes i think there's a pretty strong correlation between love <sighs> brandon phillips don't like joey Votto. i just don't um, understand that <laughs> i don't either and we we're fighting that fight at red reporter we just did i love joey Votto week last week um, coming on the heels of Marty's latest tirade. Oh my against goodness! Him. It just drives me insane. I texted that to all my brothers. <laughs> Cannot believe he was saying those things. Yeah, and so honestly, the two big stories this year are Homer Bailey and Devin Mazzarocco. Hmm. Um Two guys they've invested a ton of money in. Uh, Devin's going to make twenty to twenty-five over the next two years. Bailey's locked in for four at twenty to twenty-five million a year. Um, and if he cannot be the number one starter they thought he was going to be. Uh, that could be something that sets us back a few years. So everyone's got their fingers crossed, especially with him starting again, and he looks on track to to start the season. Got it. All right. Well, uh, I'll be rooting for the Reds a little bit more now that I know you're a Reds fan, <laughs> and you don't have anything to worry about. So. <laughs> uh, my brothers and I take a road trip, a baseball road trip, every summer, and our second one back in 2011, I think was the, yeah 2011 was the. Reds Cubs series. Okay. Starlin Castro actually made his debut there. So, oh, nice. I feel like it's a underrated stadium. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a it's a nice ballpark to to go catch a game at, and you can go pretty cheap right now. So I'd recommend it. You've been to Wrigley, right? Yeah, I actually went to Wrigley more last year than I did. I'm I'm about an hour closer to Wrigley than I am okay. Cincinnati, so just happened to pop up there a few more times last year than normal. Did you enjoy it? I did. We were at the, we did a baseball road trip where we did Toronto, Cleveland, Detroit, and then ended it at Wrigley. And it was the Sunday game with the Nationals where Harper walked like seven or eight times. Oh, and it was 13 uh, minutes. And Baez hit a, a walk off? Yeah, yeah. And so we were actually like three rows behind where Baez hit that ball. So you can see us awesome. all cheering <laughs> that we got to go home kind of behind them. So yeah, I, I always love getting a chance to go to Wrigley. Now, if I remember correctly, that was Mother's Day. So it was. Was your so wife? Was our, your wife there? No. Um, we we that was part of the hey we really need to get home. Um, but we got our pink Cubs shirts, so nice. that was the most Mother's Day that was this year. 
Great. Well, uh, uh, thanks again for, uh, for coming on our podcast. And uh, like you yeah. ask uh, all your uh, all your guests, uh, anything you'd like to plug before we end here today? Sure. You can find me at uh, Baseball Prospectus. I've got a weekly article right now uh, on the fantasy side of stuff. Uh, and then you can find uh, more of my writing at, at Red Reporter. Uh, and as, as we've talked about a few times, I'd love if you check out On Baseball Writing. Uh, you can find that in iTunes and Stitcher and, and lots of other places. And uh, Yeah, and, and, and I'm a big fan of your guys' show. Follow it on SoundCloud and, and uh, enjoying it and hope other people get a chance to check it out. Thanks so much, Eric, and uh, yeah, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks again to Eric for joining our podcast. Go check him out on Twitter at Eric Roseberry. That's... Uh, Rose, like the flower, and then berry with two R's, like the fruit. It's a nice mental image to close out our podcast with. Yes. Uh, follow him on Twitter and then uh, check his, uh, his podcast out. It's better than ours. Thanks again to him for joining us. Uh, Paul forgot to uh, come up with a podcast to recommend this week, so uh, that is our recommendation, even though we, uh, we recommended it about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Go check out On Baseball Writing. Uh, you can check out the, uh, the episodes that have uh guests that were also on our show so will leach is a recent one our uh our friend rob mains mm-hmm. uh, was the first ever guest on on baseball writing one of the first ever reviewers as well yes <laughs> yeah on itunes yeah you can see him there uh nick stellini and then um ryan watt all four of those guys were on our podcast so go check those episodes out and lots of other good ones our next podcast is February 6th, two weeks from now, we'll be on the uh, kind of uh, two-week track uh, up until the end of spring training. So that's the plan. You can send us emails, afootinthebox at gmail.com. Yeah, so send us emails. Send us your thoughts. Send us your questions, afootinthebox at gmail.com. Paul, do you have anything else? Nope. All right. Well, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Make sure to leave us a review there. Uh, Send us an email, like I just said, afootinthebox at gmail.com. And follow us on Twitter at A Foot in the Box. And check us out online at afootinthebox.com. I think that does it. Um, Again, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening. And uh, have a good week. Remember to keep a foot in the box. We'll see you next time.